Section 58 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 8 Importunaeque Volucres. Gilliatt slept well, but he was cold, which caused him to wake from time to time. He had naturally placed his feet at the end and his head on the threshold. He had taken no care to remove from his bed a multitude of rather sharp pebbles which did not improve his slumbers. He opened his eyes at intervals. At certain moments he heard deep detonations. They were made by the rising tide entering the caverns of the reef with the noise of a discharge of cannon. His whole surroundings presented the extraordinary character of a vision. Gilead had hallucination around him. The half-astonishment of night being added, he beheld himself plunged in the region of unreality. He said to himself, I am dreaming. Then he fell asleep again, and in his dreams found himself once more at the Bue de la Rue, at Les Bravais, at St. Sampson. He heard Derruchette singing. He was among realities. As long as he slept, he thought that he was awake and living. When he woke up, he thought that he was asleep. In fact, henceforth he lived in a dream. Towards the middle of the night a vast murmur arose in the sky. Gilead had a confused perception of it through his slumbers. It is probable that the wind was rising. Once, when aroused by a shiver of cold, he opened his eyelids a little wider than he had previously done. There were large clouds in the zenith. The moon was flying through the sky and a large star was pursuing her. Gilead's mind was filled with a diffusion of dreams, and this exaggeration of the state of dreaminess mingled with the wild landscape of the night. At daybreak he was stiff with cold and sleeping profoundly. The abruptness of the dawn roused him from this slumber, which might have been dangerous. His alcove faced the rising sun. Gilead yawned, stretched himself, and sprang out of his hole. He had slept so soundly that he did not understand at first. Little by little the reality returned to him, and to such a degree that he exclaimed, Let us breakfast. The weather was calm, the sky cold and serene. There were no longer any clouds. The sweeping of the night winds had cleared the horizon. The sun was rising brightly. It was the beginning of a second fine day. Gilead felt joyous. He threw off his pea-coat and leggings, rolled them up in the sheepskin with the wool inside, tied the roll up in a bit of rope, and thrust it to the bottom of his lair, out of reach of possible rain. Then he made his bed, that is to say, he removed the pebbles. This done, he let himself slide down the rope to the bridge of the Durande, and ran to the niche where he had deposited his basket of provisions. The basket was no longer there. As it had been placed very near the edge, the wind had blown it off during the night, had carried it away, and thrown it into the sea. The wind thus announced its hostile intentions. It must have had a certain will and some malice to go in search of that basket there. It was the beginning of warfare, Gilead understood it. It is very difficult when one lives in surly familiarity with the sea not to regard the wind as someone and the rocks as personages. The only resource remaining to Gilead besides his biscuit and his rye meal 
was the shellfish with which the shipwrecked man who had died of hunger on the man rock had sustained himself fishing was not to be thought of fish do not like the rocks and avoid the breakers fishers with pots and dragnets would waste their labor on these reefs the points of which are fit only to tear the nets gilead breakfast on a few limpets which he detached from the stones with difficulty he came near breaking the knife in the operation while engaged on this meager luncheon he heard a peculiar tumult on the sea he looked it was a swarm of gulls and sea-mews which had just alighted on one of the low rocks flapping their wings knocking against each other and screaming all were flocking noisily to the same point this horde were plundering something with beaks and claws that something was gilliatt's basket the basket tossed upon a point of rock by the wind had burst open there the birds had flocked thither they were carrying away in their beaks all sorts of ragged fragments gilliatt recognized his smoked beef and his salt fish from afar the birds had entered into rivalry in their turn they also were making reprisals gilliatt had deprived them of their habitation they were depriving him of his supper End of chapter 8 Importunaeque volucres.